Um, hi, my name, my name is um, Harrison. Hey, I just want to chime in. Uh, can I chime in right quick? Oh, oh you, you go ahead. Yeah, I, I had a few thoughts about this, and uh, one of the things that is very, very interesting, and, you know, it's just really kind of perplexing to me is, hey, can you wrap up? I'm going to make sure that we can give the floor to the other people on stage. You guessed it. We're on Clubhouse. Join the exclusive, technically speaking, club on Clubhouse. Once you have an invite, search for us. Did I mention iOS users only? My name is Harrison Wheeler, and this is Technically Speaking. Get up, stretch my legs. And we're back. Glad you could join me today. And just like the words to this song, hopefully you're enjoying this at the start of your day. If you're sitting down, you should get up, stretch. I would implore you to go out for a walk, weather permitting, and enjoy this next 35 minutes. I know we've been sitting down too long, so hopefully this encourages you to to get up and out. My guest is Teresa Slate, and she is a multidisciplinary designer and diversity and inclusion consultant who's been crafting meaningful experience in a range of industries, including consumer electronics, retail, and healthcare. She supported organizations both in-house and outside as a consultant, which we'll get into. And she'll take us from school in Cincinnati to Seattle to Palo Alto and back to Chicago, where she is currently a design lead at Northern Trust. We dive into designing systems at scale and the challenges associated with that and what innovation means when working at large legacy companies. Here's Teresa in her own words. And I'm like less in Figma doing things and more like working with the business and attending meetings and, you know, being like, and I think it's great because I don't have to convince anyone the value of design. So that's like, that happened before I got there. It's awesome. It's more like, how can we use design to leverage a more strategic vision? All good, all good. (laughs) Um, Yeah, as as we were saying before, everyone in their mom has a podcast, but I'm I'm all here for it. It's all good. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, isn't that the whole point of public radio and things? Everybody has access. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, everyone has a podcast and that's good. Yeah. It's actually pretty crazy that it's already been, I think, more than a year since we oh my met. God, has it? It has, because that was like early November last year. Yeah. The black, the black, oh my god. Yeah, I think it was. It was the week before Afrotech, <laughs> right? Either the week of. Or the I, week of yeah. It was like yeah, I think it was like the week before because it kind of got like smushed in there at the end of the year because I remember yeah. when I got accepted, I was like visiting my family in San Diego. Yeah. And then it was like, oh, and then you're gonna be flying to San Francisco like in three weeks. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but that was that was cool. I'm glad we got like that small little intimate yeah. group of designers. 
Yeah, I uh, like that. I thought it was a great summit and just like, yeah, it was a lot of chance for like personal connections, yeah. which is I think what I hate about going to large conferences. It's yeah. like I have so much social anxiety that I'm like, uh, yeah. I'll just talk to myself in my phone. Like, <laughs> <laughs> did you did you make it to Afrotech? No, I have never gone to okay. any of those. Yeah, those it was pretty. It was it was pretty big. I mean, it was a lot of people. I was like, whoa. Yeah, it's a lot. I feel like I am a terrible black person, a terrible designer, because I feel like I <laughs> never go to those events. <laughs> no, it's all good. I mean, I, I mean, co- conferences are they're they're very intimidating, especially at a larger scale. You know. Yeah. Uh, even like the concept of networking at conferences. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Let me go to this random table and strike up a random <laughs> conversation. And then almost get shunned for it and because it's like, that's what you're supposed to do. Like, that is not natural. It isn't natural. And I also feel like every time I go to something, I'm like the wild card. Like, I was just telling my, I was talking to my friend today, and she lives in Shanghai. So, you know, we overlap like early morning yeah. evening. And I was telling her, like, the, t- the working title of my memoir will be, you will not be invited back. Because it's like, I think people see me online and they're like, oh, her online persona must be like a more ramped up version of her real life. And I'm like, um, no, my online persona is like toned down of me real life. Cause then they're like, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Don't have her speak again. Like- <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, well, look, we, we've got a lot of, of opportunities. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, You're going to be like, oh, go ahead and add Teresa to the list. Of, uh... <laughs> well, the good thing is, is um, in, in true podcast fashion, you will be able to listen to this 24-7 anywhere around the globe <laughs> at your choosing. So this is a commitment. <laughs> this, this is a commitment. So, you know, if you listen here and you're like, wow, that black lesbian is pretty radical. I'm like, yeah, that's going to be true. <laughs> Teresa, we've we've had a lot of uh, you know uh, catching up that we've been able to do yeah. beforehand. It's actually really funny. I was looking at your your LinkedIn in true LinkedIn employee fashion, <laughs> and I feel like we may have had like cross paths like way way back in the day. I saw that you worked at Rush Card. Yes, I did. And I used to like work with them. I used to do work. I did. Uh, I did Russell Simmons his corporate website back in the day. Okay. And I did uh, I did some work with Art for Life. Okay. So I yeah, Rush Card was like my first internship out of school. Ah. And so it's like the the company itself is like in uh, around Cincinnati, Ohio, which is where I grew mm. up and where I went to school. And yeah, so we never I never got to meet Russell Simmons because every time he would come, I would like always be gone. But I do remember our. Um, was it our CEO or CMO was always getting calls from him during the middle of meetings. So So it'd be like, we'd have like this design company, like presenting the redesigned website. And then all of a sudden his phone would ring and it would, you could hear it being like, hi, this is Jessica. I've got, uh, you know, Russell on the line for you. And he's like, Oh my God. Okay. He's like, Teresa, can you move move the button? I don't like the button there. I know he like came to our university and they were like, we told him all about you. He really wants to meet you. And I'm like, I'm in California. Like, how do you guys not understand the concept that like three months of school and then three months of work? So, like, oh my god. Yeah. Well, well, hey, uh, let's maybe kind of dive into you know where you're at today. So right now you're yeah. you're at Northern Trust uh, in Chicago. Um, just tell me kind of where you started from, like the internship, you know, all right. to to sort of yeah. where you're at now. 
Yeah. So my journey, I feel like is both traditional and very winding at the same time. Cause I went to design school at the university, university of Cincinnati and the formerly called DAP program, which I now think is like the Myron Allman junior college for design or something. And I studied a major called digital design, which was totally made up, doesn't even exist anymore. And like before I had joined, I guess 15 years prior, they took like seven students from graphic design, seven students from industrial design. And we're like, let's do a major with this like emerging digital technology. Yeah. So uh, in school, it was a mix of interaction design, 3D modeling and motion design for five years. And we alternated uh, three months of school with three months of work. So the, that's why the program was five years because you have a, work, a year and a half work requirement to graduate. So I started off um, not really knowing what I wanted to do. It was my second choice major. I actually mm. wanted to be in graphic design and I got rejected and I always- How do you get rejected from graphic design? listen, I have a lot of beef with this. So <laughs> I get my letter right from the University of Cincinnati. Yeah. And like my first choice major was graphic. And after that, I didn't know what to do because I was the only kind of design that I knew about. Yeah. And my sister went to the same university and a friend in her scholarship, she's like, I don't know, he does digital design. He's got a camera and he likes it. And I was like, okay, that seems fun. So I like put that down. And so my acceptance letter to my university started off with, unfortunately, and I almost had a heart attack. I was like, did I just get rejected from my public university, like in my hometown? Like, that's insane. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, so I got rejected from graphic design, which is like one of the the most popular programs, ended up doing digital. So I was like, oh, I think this works out because prior to that, I feel like I'm a classic uh, millennial in the fact that I made... I used to build websites for fun. Like I started coding probably when I was about 10 um, using like Microsoft front page. Hey, shout out to front page. (laughs) Dreamweaver. And then like dream (laughs) front page, uh, Dreamweaver. uh, I'm not made of money. Okay. I grew up poor to lower middle class. So we had front page. Okay. I got you. Yeah. You're right. Cause those those Adobe products were (laughs) actually it was macromedia back then. It was macromedia. And I think my first version of Photoshop, I got my senior year of high school. And it was Photoshop five because at that time it was already at like 10. Mm-hmm. And so five was on eBay for like $30. So I was like, <laughs> okay, let me do this. So like <laughs> sitting here like Photoshop with my little blog layout. Yeah. They got, they, you know, you know the, the new generation got it easy with these subscription plans. Listen, listen, when you're like, especially when you're poor, you're just like, listen, yeah. okay. I heard graphic design is a thing. So yeah, I started off, um, like shout out to Neopets, shout out to Zanga, and shout out to LiveJournal because that's where nice. all of my stuff was yeah. and all my Geocities websites that I made for like MP3 rotation. So that was kind of, I was like, okay, so digital does web design. That, that'll that be like what I'm interested in. And then my first internship, so we talked about, I worked at RushCard mm-hmm. and that was great because I didn't actually really know what I wanted to do. So I got to be a generalist. So I did some graphic design, some motion design, just a whole bunch of stuff. And then for my next job, I did corporate web design because I was like, yeah, that's what I want to be a web designer. Like, that's what I've done. It was horrible. Like, I like had got to go to San Francisco to Larkspur. It was awesome. The company I worked for was awesome, but I hated that job mm. because I was like, corporate web design is so boring to me. So like, <laughs> what, what were you doing? You were the just, webmaster. <laughs> I wasn't even that. I was like the intern, oh. and it was so. It was just like, oh we're doing this corporate website. Here's a hero image and three content buckets. Oh, yeah. Like every single thing is like the same, but sometimes it's red, sometimes it's black. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so boring. So Let's after make I, the button bigger. Yes. And I'm like, okay, this is good to know that 
I thought I wanted to be a web designer. And now in three months, I realized this is not what my jam is. <laughs> and so then um, from there, I ended up getting an internship at a JCPenney on their, on their former innovation team. And that was, I think, a real eye-opening moment to realize I liked interaction design. Mm. And like user experience and those sorts of things. So then from there, that's kind of where the rest of my internships laid out. Mm. Um, worked at a few places across the country. And then my first job was out in Palo Alto at a firm, at a small like web enterprise firm. And then uh, unfortunately that closed in four months because the guy just like had so much change happening. It had been open for 15 years and he was just like, I'm missing time with my kids. Like I want to do something else. So we closed the firm and I was like, oh God, I just moved all the way from Cincinnati. Yeah. <laughs> sold all, of, I got rid of my winter coat. Like, what am I going to do? So um, I ended up interviewing <laughs> with a place called Insight Product Development in Chicago, which funny enough, I had interviewed for an internship there my senior year and didn't get it because they ended up not hiring anybody. Mm. And they had reached out to me when I graduated to see um, if I had a job yet and I had, so I turned it down. So just like four months later, I was like, Hey, like, are you still looking for a designer? Because things have changed on my end and it was wild. So I got interviewed on a Monday, offered on a Wednesday, and then two weeks on election night of 2012, mm. I moved to Chicago, which was like, I didn't even think about it. I was like, Oh my gosh, this ticket from Palo Alto to Chicago is so cheap. Like, uh, it's awesome. And I'm like, of course, because it's election night in Chicago and Obama is there. Like all the mm. roads were closed. My like airport shuttle van guy was like, I hope I can get you to your hotel because they have everything closed off because like Obama was staying at the Hilton, but he had wanted to go play basketball. So they had like <laughs> closed off the entire route. <laughs> so he was just like driving around trying to trying to drop us off. Um, and so, yeah, Insight was a, a medical device design firm. So right. there I did a lot of, um, I think the biggest project I worked on was designing things for um, what's called an external fixator. So when somebody breaks their bones yeah. um, and they have to get it like a, like wired around them and then they have to slowly turn the levers every day. So the program, what it does is like, here's the broken bone. Here's what it looks like when it heals. This is the external fixator you apply. And here are the measurements you have to do every single day to get it to heal in this amount of time. So it would just print out a chart that a doctor would give to a patient. So it would be like, okay, this day you screwed this one twice, this one once, and like do that for the next six months. And that's how the healing should That sounds happen. terribly painful. <laughs> it does sound terribly painful, but very fascinating because I'm, yeah. I'm very analytical. Yeah. And so before becoming a designer, I thought I was going to be like a scientist or an astronomer. I also thought I might be a doctor. So I did like anatomy and took Latin. Yeah. So I'm like a lot of random knowledge popping around in my head. So do you think, but like, do you think some of those moves were a part of just like, or glimpses of those random pieces of interest over time? You're like, oh, this would be interesting. I thought about this in the past. Yeah. 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 And I think like all of that has come in come in handy. I was actually just talking to my friend today because yeah. the one in Shanghai, she's also a designer mm. went to the same college. And uh, yeah, I talked about how like in design school, I learned sort of the fundamentals of being a designer, but everything that's in my career now are all personal passions I had growing mm. up. So like, you know, from insight to medical device design, I worked in innovation consultancy at a place called Gravity Tank for three years until it was bought by Salesforce. And then I left. Um, some of you may know based on my name, I also worked at Cards Against Humanity uh, was not ideal. And then from there, I freelanced for a couple of years before joining Northern late last year. And in um, all of the times, like what was interesting for me is I really love data heavy stuff. I really mm. love complex things. Yeah. So 
where I really thrive as a designer is like, I'm a systems thinker mm -hmm. at the end of the day. So I love to see how little complex parts and pieces come together and make those things easy to understand for others. So now I'm at Northern Trust and I work as a design lead there, which just means I'm heading up design on one of their products called Wolf Passport. Okay. And last year I got brought on as a contractor before joining full-time to help with what's called a refresh. So not a reskin and not quite a redesign, but a refresh. So it's like, where can we, they love the phrase lift and shift. Like where can we sort of just reskin what already exists yeah. because like the user experience is okay, but then where can we really dive in for larger impact for a larger user experience? Yeah. And so the product itself, um, so Northern Trust, if you're not familiar, is like a old school bank in Chicago. Like it's an institution, it's really involved in the community. So it's been around for about 140 years. And um, what they do is essentially manage, manage wealth for what we call like high net worth individuals, which the best way to say that is like really, really rich people. So in order to bank at Northern, if you're not an employee, you have to have like at least $2 million. And so that's kind of how wow. we split up all of our businesses. So I work on Wealth Passport, which is in the wealth business, which is for individuals and families who have anywhere from 5 million to like $450 million. And this is the point where after you get so wealthy, you don't want to manage your money yourself. Like it kind of becomes a nightmare. Wait, the ra so the hire... range is to 400. That is such an arbitrary number. It Well, it's because once you start hitting half a billion, that's when you start setting up um, our other office, uh, our other offering, which is like corporate institutional. So like endowments, gotcha. university funds. So it's kind of like, based on how much money you have is kind of like what kind of structure you might fit into or yeah. kind of business you might set. So a global family office or a GFO is just like a team of accountants and back office people who yeah. help families like manage their money, make sure all their bills are getting paid, check on inheritances and trusts and like all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, um, the people who work in those offices, that's who I work with. So because yeah. people are like, how can you be about ethics and work at a bank? And I'm like, okay, it's because I don't work for the rich people. I work for people like me who also work for rich people. And I'm just like trying to make sure they can do their job without like getting fired or yelled at at the whim of like their boss. Yeah. Because it's notoriously like really stuck on like personal relationships. So like mm. there are people who have been with the family office that are like their CFOs. And some of those family offices have been managing uh, families across like six generations. Wow. So like there are accountants that are managing the funds for babies, like literally being born and like making sure all their money is in like a nice trust and like making sure it's accruing interest and like all of this other stuff. Yeah. Like it's a, it's a wild ride. So wow. as the design lead, I helped with their refresh, which is like, um, a couple of years before I joined Northern trust, um, created a design system. And so we're moving from both like a like look and feel like UI UX perspective and a tech perspective to like a whole new technology platform. Yeah. And so a lot of the refresh was how do we take how what passport currently exists and put it on this new like digital design system for faster development and more cohesive experiences, yeah. like not just in a product, but across a suite of products right. because Quite a few Northern partners also aren't just, or clients aren't just stuck into like one area. So I might use Wealth Passport, but I also might have to use this module that comes from like CNIS. Mm. And so if that's coming across a different business function, how can we make sure it seems like a seamless experience? Ever have an idea of starting a podcast? I had one for quite a while before I took the leap and started Technically Speaking. Anchor.fm made it easier than ever. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast, and it has everything you need in one place. Let me explain. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone, tablet, or computer. 
It handles all of your distribution so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Did I mention it's free? Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. It's like the uh, the Adobe Creative Suite for finances. Yes, yes. And like, so the three functions, we have like the private, which is like two to two to four million. Yeah. Uh, the wealth management, which is the, like I said, five million to half a billion. And then half a billion up is usually CNIS, which is like endowments or like, think of like the mm. Gates Foundation is there. Yeah. And so some of these clients might have a dip into each of these. Like, so they might be a wealth client because- their family makes like $400 million and there's a team of accountants, but then the individual family members might be private clients because it's like, okay, of this $400 million, I have like 3 million that mm. I'm allowed to manage. Yeah. So then they have like to use the private client to like manage that. So it's like very interesting on how all these things play together. Yeah. And I think as Northern gets more and more mature as a design organization, that's one of the big things we've been pushing on is like, it's not just a look and feel. It's also like a technology stack. It's also looking at mm. where all your data comes from in the database. And like right now, the data is much like the organization was, which is siloed. Mm. So it's like, oh, well, this all this exists here in this database. So we need to duplicate it and put it into another database instead of just having them talk to each other. Yeah. So like a lot of what I do outside of just like the look and feel and the design is um, like working with the development team and also working with the business to say like, here are better ways that we can start moving this forward. Yeah. Like I find now being almost 10 years into my career, it's like, I'm less in, I'm like less in Figma doing things and more like working with the business and attending meetings yeah. and, you know, being like, and I think it's great because I don't have to convince anyone the value of design. So that's like, that happened before I got there. It's awesome. Nice. It's more like, how can we use design to leverage a more strategic vision? Yeah. So like, this is how your outdated technology stacks impact your user experience. So just talking about how those things kind of play together. Um, and then helping them understand that like, for so much time, their user experience was driven by the complexity of the backend. And saying that like, even though these two things not to each other, like the complexity of the backend should be hidden from the front end user. Like if we have to go and translate that stuff, that's fine. Yeah. But this person shouldn't need to be like, oh, okay, well, I spelled this like general ledger detail wrong. So let me go ahead and modify that and like make sure it's all linking up. It's like, no, we should just be smart enough to be to be able to do those kinds of things. Yeah. So that's like a lot of what we're what I know I'm working on and fighting against, especially as we continue on, is let's not that not let's not let the technical complexity of the back end yeah. like sour what we actually need to present to users. Yeah. So like it might not be it might not be the same. Like one of the things we're working on is like consolidating these kind of two things that are called transactions. They come from two separate databases and they're different financial things. And then like, yeah, but to a user, it's all a transaction. They don't care. Like Yeah. <laughs> I, care. I think you know, I, I I love I love this because I don't think there's enough conversation around um, legacy enterprise mm -hmm. problems, right? And and I think the only way to be able to address those things is by being a strategic partner, right? You know, and and you know, it, it's it's I'm I'm coming at it from this scope and perspective because right now, like you know, uh, fintech is very hot, mm -hmm. and uh, you hear a lot of stories from brand new companies, right? That that really are working from from scratch, right? Um, but I think it's actually very interesting when you're dealing with large clients who have invested years 
in sort of like this organization. And now you've got the software piece that, yep. you know, the steps that you take are actually probably going to be more impactful long-term in terms of how people actually portray that. Because I think we're becoming less of a relationship-based sort of society, right? right? It's, it's very sort right. of transactional, self-serve. Tell me, let me, let me actually be able to go out and seek this information, mm -hmm. right? You tell me how it works. And then if I have any additional questions, then I'll call on somebody when it's absolutely necessary. Right, right. And I think that's also been a big shift because at the core, Northern is a service organization. Yeah. So one of the reasons I joined and I was so most impressed is like, that is their their core. Mm. And so it's new to them that the younger generation is coming in and they're like, no, just let me figure it out myself. And if I need you, I'll call you because yeah. the older generation was very much like, oh, let me call my relationship manager and have them do all this stuff for me. Yeah. And so I think, I don't know, that's what excites me. Like the, I think it's been interesting to see my transition because my final internship in school, I worked for um, Teague out in Seattle, which is like the designer's design firm. And I went because I needed to prove to myself that like I was good enough to go there, you know, like black turtlenecks, all love Apple. that kind of thing. <laughs> And while the experience was great because I actually got to work on a medical project there, yeah. but they mostly do like high end design, like, you know, airplanes and porcelain phones for people in, you know, Singapore, like high rich people in Singapore. Uh, at least at the time that yeah. might have changed. And I am really happy I had that experience because I realized that's not really where I thrive. Mm. Like I really love getting into the complexity of legacy systems. And like, that's my advice if anybody wants to get into, if you're a systems thinker and you love complexity, work at a legacy company because it will test you in ways that you don't like, that you're just not aware of. Yeah. And I think too, it's like, when legacy companies work with like consulting companies, I think it's giving me such an edge and an eye about what it was like when I was coming in as a consultant. And now I'm like, oh, I get why they were rolling their eyes at me because <laughs> you have to, you have to acknowledge the current struggles. Yeah. And I think so much of working with legacy is honestly, I always call it like a festivist meeting where I'm like, okay, we're going to kick off a project. Let's talk about all of the annoying reasons why we can't do what we want to do. Like, let's get it all out there. Yeah. And I want you to know that I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. We're documenting it. And now we're going to put those away and we're going to talk about how we can move forward. And then we'll go back to that festivist board when we need to like pull a post it and be like, okay, we want to do this and this. Here is the thing from Festivus that we know is going to be the problem. So how do we tackle mm. that? Because often it's not even like a design issue. It is like a, our tech stacks were built so siloed. Yeah. So now we need to work on creating an API. Yeah. And like, I have really enjoyed being able to do that. Mm. And like, I think, at least I think, I mean, I haven't gotten a ton of feedback on it, but I'm like, I think people feel listened to when I come into the room because it's like, I have that consulting background. Yeah. So I haven't been like sort of beaten down by being in financial institutions for 25 years, but I also have empathy mm. for lack of a better word of like, I get it. You're going through something that's impossible. Yeah. And every time you've tried to make changes in the past, your hand has been slapped. I'm here to tell you, let's talk about those hand slaps and let's move forward mm. because I just think they're so... I don't know. To me, it feels like the industry is changing and that those like new hot startups and companies are just going to become less and less um, available. And it's going to be more and more legacy products and legacy companies that are realizing the power of design and spinning up their own teams. Mm. And like, that's where I have appetite. And that's where it's kind of like, I feel like I've been sort of the stepchild in my entire design career. Yeah. And I'm like, yes, finally, like my systems thinking, my analytical mind, like my love of calculus and anatomy and all this stuff has like come together to create like a really niche 
yeah. uh, career path for me. Yeah. I love, I love enterprise design. I love legacy design. I think, or, you know, working with legacy yeah. applications, right? Because I think even to your point, it's just like a different approach. I think, for instance, like design system takes on a whole other mm -hmm. meaning when you are looking at these different systems that need to interplay, right? Or mm -hmm. talking about an API to a team that, you know, doesn't really understand what those things are. There is a startup company that is focused on fintech just for connecting different banks mm -hmm. that is has this huge valuation and i'm like this is so simple but you it's would think like, that you would you think would, that but you, it's, you would think uh, yeah. that right and that even within norvirm like connecting between other systems is such a big expensive thing so then once we start adding third party into there it's like a nightmare because yeah. financial data you know much like medical data with hipaa is so tightly regulated yeah. that there are all of these checks and balances. And yeah. I know to like, I don't know, I would, I would recommend a lot of, especially young designers coming out, maybe look at some of those legacy places. Like it's going to be frustrating in other ways, but yeah. you are going to learn so much about feasibility and innovation. Like I think one of the greatest things I learned at gravity tank was like talking about incremental innovation. Yeah. So instead of it being, you know, what is it? Instead of blue sky, it's like brownfield or something. And I'm like, that honestly is really interesting to me because yeah. all these people have actually had to be innovative for a really long time because it's like, okay, we don't have any money. Mm. We got to get this thing working for our clients. Like how have we sort of cobbled things together? And yeah. now they're at the point where like, they've been cobbling together things for so long. <laughs> it's hard for them to understand that it's like, you don't have that restriction anymore. Right. And like, you know, and I think that's like one of the greatest things is, um, I always think about this quote, which I feel like is both for legacy companies and for people's personal life. So this is a semi-therapy yeah. session. It's like the tools that you use to survive will not help you thrive. And I feel like that is so true mm. for a lot of legacy organizations. Yeah. It was like, like, you know, cause Northern's been around since the late 1800s and, you know, technology is relatively new sort of in the, in the history, the whole history of that company. And so most of their products haven't been touched in like 20 to 30 years. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, yes. In the eighties, technology probably did feel like a fad, but we're not there anymore. So like, yeah. you know, that data file that in the eighties was like, oh my God, I have to move a megabyte of data. That's insane. Is <laughs> now like, you can do that. It, it, can't even think about that. Like now we're yeah. talking in gigs. And right. so it's like, as that starts to grow, that's yeah. where it starts to get really interesting because it's like, well, they've already dealt with these problems yeah. before. Like, even though the maybe file size has changed, they know what it's like if you're loading a super huge data file and how yeah. to make that load fast. So there's just like a lot of knowledge. It's really just like pulling it out of people. Yeah. And like, I think that's where my skills as a consultant comes in because it's like, I'm not here to judge you. And like, I, I like to approach all of my pro like problems with humility. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm a designer. I have a set of skills, but I can't solve the problem. Like I'm never going to know the ins and outs of like managing a general ledger better yeah. than an accountant, but I can hear what you're saying and we can work together to like solve the problems visually. Like, yeah. like talking to my friend today, where it's like, I feel like a visual engineer is kind of the best way to describe where my value is. Because it's not just about aesthetics. It's about like coming together and making sure that, you know, structurally things are sound and they work. And not just about like, oh, what typeface did I choose? But it's like, and, oh, yeah. And, and look, and, and look to your point though, and I'm, I'm a firm believer in this, like innovation doesn't happen you know, mm -hmm. with a bunch of black people or a bunch of black people, a bunch of people wearing, <laughs> it does happen with a bunch of, black people. It, it, doesn't does, happen it, with does. A, it doesn't happen with a bunch of people wearing black turtlenecks in a right. room. 
right. it is a series of incremental steps. It's mm -hmm. listening, it's doing the research, it's having that humility and solving really hard, complex problems. And over mm -hmm. time, you're like, oh snap, like we've got something here. Exactly. It's it's not like this magic moment. It's like, oh man, we've we've been doing all this work. These small incremental steps have added up to something like so different and very unique mm -hmm. that we're providing value. Right. And that's like another big thing. Like some legacy organizations, they hear innovation and they want like shiny and new. And it's mm -hmm. like, no, 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 no. You gotta take a little bit of step, a little, a few steps at a time. So yeah. again, it's like the concept car, right? They come up with those concepts and they're yeah. like, okay, if this is 20 years in the future, what model can we release every single year so that yeah. that doesn't seem? Because also major innovations like RIP Quibi, but look at that. Like that was unfounded, unfunded, yeah. right? It was a new way to view or stream content without being tested or looking at what else other people are doing. And it just was rejected. Like right. a pandemic took it down because now nobody's watching stuff on their phones because no one's traveling. Right. So like some of those big innovations like are such a big gamble, whereas the incremental innovation is like, how can I take a little bit of risk, learn mm. something from that little bit of risk, and then take maybe a little bit of a larger risk next time. Yeah embrace um, the process yeah and that's yeah. i mean that's me i love a process i always like love a framework i feel like they get so annoyed with me on calls i'll be like well if we put this in a two by two they're like oh my god Teresa, again i'm like yo. listen the framework works <laughs> you yo you've got you've got the lead mentality i mean that that's that's the strategic partner in you yeah and i'm like it's also i think just my brain because yeah. even if i wasn't a designer like i'm trying to think back oh what a time was like before that. But I was like, even then I was very strategic. Like I can imagine myself as a child being like, okay, mom, I'm gonna do my chores. But here's my thing. If we think about chores on one axis and like time it takes on another axis. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it was because my mom was a project manager. So I feel like she sort of instilled all uh, those things into us. So yeah. in college, they used to make fun of me because I would be like, we are not leaving this meeting without action items. I'm like, they're like, what are you talking? I'm like, listen, we have to do this group project. Here are the five actions we need. Who is going to do each one of these? Why weren't you my friend in college? <laughs> my my group my group projects got nowhere. Uh, A week I, later, we're like, who owns what? <laughs> no, I started feeling like, I know, I was like my studio's den mother at some point. Because even when we weren't on group projects, I'd be checking in on them. I'd be like, okay, we know that this is going to be due next week. How are you doing? Are you staying up late? Do you need me to bring you some food? Like, yeah because <laughs> it's just kind of like we're all in this thing together so yeah. and i think too like if you talk about that so my studio so um how the design school works is every like major takes 50 students a year it used to and so then they would split them up amongst two sections people who would go to school in the winter and summer and people who would go to school in the fall and the spring and so we started off with 25 and we graduated with 12. Only our wow. section. The other section kept all 25 people. And we realized towards our senior year, it was because when people weren't meeting our standards, we either pushed them to do better or I felt like berated them, not berated them, but just like pressured them to drop out because it started to become like, I have spent like all of my time working on this, something yeah. really great that I want good feedback and critique on. And it's so disrespectful for you to walk into the studio having mm. put no work into it. Right. And so it's like that, I think, was kind of the cutthroat mentality we had. Not like you had to be good, but it was like, if you're not going to be here to work like the rest of us are working, that's just disrespectful and we don't want to like waste mm. our time on you. Yeah. And so like, I think that definitely played out because yeah, only 12 of us ended up finishing in my section. But yeah. it was like a solid 12. It was people who were like, you know, I'm here to be here. Like I'm yeah. in it to like work and do stuff. And yeah. 
Well, hey, look, we're going to wrap up in the spirit of giving gratitude. Uh-huh. Uh, what are some things you've been thankful for over the past year? Ooh, thankful for. I've been very thankful for my wife. Um, shout out to Kalina. She's awesome. Or they're awesome. Sorry. Um, and I think I've been really thankful to of my team at Northern. Um, there's so much going on and to have the security to actually thrive and be able to not just do design work, but also help with pushing like our diversity and inclusion initiatives. Like, um, I will shout out my manager, John Fisher, who is singly one of the best managers I've ever worked with. And because he approaches it as like, not that he's managing my time, but Mm -hmm. that he's leading and he wants to understand like, what are the things that I'm passionate about and how can we do that at Northern? And if there's something he doesn't understand, he comes at it with humility, like incidents of racism that I've experienced from people who are in the old guard in the bank, he listens and escalates those. He doesn't Mm -hmm. go like, well, maybe it wasn't racist. He's like, no. And so I feel like I finally have that sort of psychological safety for the first time at this in- the 140 year old institution that I never thought would happen. So those are like the biggest things I've been like really thankful for. And just like, as much as I dogged on social media before social media, being able to keep up with my friends who I can't see and mm. like finding new and fun ways to, to like connect. Like we're about to throw like a virtual Christmas party or like yeah. our friends had a baby during COVID. So we couldn't even go really see them for a while. And it was just like, Oh great. We it's, it's like taking me back. I feel like to sort of simpler, simpler times. Yeah. We like made them a bunch of freezer food and dropped it off or just like other ways that we've learned to connect yeah. outside of like seeing each other face to face. And I've been really thankful to sort of let that kind of thrive and also to have the quiet of not always hustling. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, the the uh, we had a family group Zoom session over Thanksgiving, and I tell you not the first thirty minutes we just all spent roasting each other. It was hilarious. <laughs> I mean, that's what you got to do. I know we did that yesterday too with my family, and like I'm trying to get my brother in law to buy my sister a replica Mandalorian costume because she oh, loved the show, like a full loved- like a full body. <laughs> she like loved armor obsessed she's obsessed and they have a they have two kids but their youngest is about to be two yeah and i was like here's the thing the costume come, also comes with a replica of the child sack so you just got to take brielle you know just pop her in the pop her in the sack take her to child care and then you know you're all messed up <laughs> it's like four thousand dollars and that was just me the whole video call just oh trying to like, buying it for her <laughs> the nice thing about working from home you can just rock that on the Zoom call. Mm-hmm. I know. My sister's been working from home. She's a, a patent reader for the government. So she's been working yeah. from home for a long time. Yeah. But like, uh, yeah, I'm like working from home is awesome. I don't think I want to go back because I've been grateful. It's given me a lot more time yeah. to like with my wife. We have lunch together every day now. And I feel like there were times when we were losing track of each other mm. and we've gotten so much time together and it like fits into my work style. I'm an early bird. So I like roll yeah. out of bed at six, eat breakfast, start work usually wrap up the day by two or three if possible, Mm. because that's when I work best. And so just having that flexibility, I feel like has given my mind so much more opportunity to do other things like the screenwriting or the activism. It's like, oh, I get off work at three and I can like text bank, you know, my alderman later tonight at six and I'm not so drained from the day. So it's been a bit of a, like, I mean, COVID is terrible. I hope that we get a handle on it because people should stay home and wear masks. But like, it also also been nice. It's been like a forced pause yeah to stop and like really think about what's kind of important yeah so how can folks connect with you uh 
You can find me on LinkedIn, Teresa Slate. I think my thing is still a Teresa store, but I can't take it. So feedback for LinkedIn. Okay. I should be able to change my, my little slash URL. Um, I don't have a Twitter anymore. So mainly just LinkedIn is probably the best way. I have like an Instagram, but it's not that exciting. It's just like <laughs> pictures of the food that we make and me making really terrible jokes. I have a lot of Instagrams actually. I got really into the Sims. So I have an Instagram for all of my Sim architecture builds. Oh, I haven't wow. updated it in a while, but it's pretty impressive. So if you look for Slate Unlimited, I'd be very proud for people to follow me on there. Awesome. <laughs> that, I want to I wanna follow that. That sounds really interesting. Um, hey, I appreciate you being on the show. This was a very high energy, energetic conversation, <laughs> uh, enlightening as well. And does this, does this mean that Teresa's running for president in 2024? Oof. Like, what was this? What's, what's going on? No, no, I can't run for president. I'm like, <laughs> I would never, there are so many reasons I wouldn't get to be president because I have like too many, too many fake jokes about inciting race wars that <laughs> they, people would pick up. But like, um, I know that's always what I tell my wife. So my wife is uh, white and non-binary. Um, but they grew up like in rural Illinois and I was like, I was marrying you for generational wealth. And they're like, I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, um, no, my, my plan right now is probably, I want to do local office cause I don't want to be a career politician and I yeah. really love Chicago. So my goal, if I end up running would be for city council. Awesome. Awesome. So we'll see. <laughs> awesome. Well, well, best of luck. Thank uh, you. And, and let me know once, once the campaign contribution page goes up, I got you. 